Welcome to ARBcast, Water Island Capital's podcast series, where we strive to provide investors with concise and timely insights into the world of event-driven investing. I'm your host, Karen Feeney, and joining me today is John Arrigo, the founder and CIO of Water Island Capital, and Roger Fultonowitz, lead portfolio manager. John and Roger, thank you both for joining today. Hi, Karen. Nice to be here. Hi, Karen. Thank you. Volatility has been top of mind for a lot of investors. Year-to-date, as of May 13th, the S&P is down 17.1%, and the Bloomberg Ag is down 9.4%. Despite global markets selling off, the arbitrage fund is only down about 2.8%. Can you talk about why this strategy has been able to hold up well despite the volatility? Sure, Karen. This is John. Let Let me address that question. You know, volatility around our returns is to be expected when the underlying markets are volatile. As the securities that we purchase to deliver our defined return framework are the equities and bonds of those entities that have entered into definitive merger contracts. So typically, if you think about the period between which a merger is announced and the date of that deal closing, and it can be from 45 to 145 days, As companies work towards that successful deal close, their share prices can be volatile as their underlying investor base changes. Arbitrageurs are only a small part of the investor base in a merger deal, but the institutional and retail holders, during periods of market volatility, they may decide to go home, raise cash, de-risk, de-lever, and that can send spreads wider. And by spread, the difference between where that security trades today and what we expect to receive when the deal closes, when it does widen, presents an opportunity for us to deliver higher returns for our shareholders if that deal does close successfully. So while volatility in the short term can impact our day-to-day NAVs, our returns are going to be driven by capturing the returns or the spreads that are associated with each of those announced merger deals. And if we take it a step further, if we've done our work and continue to believe that the transaction will ultimately close, then we're going to take advantage of those bouts of market volatility by putting capital to work at attractive rates of return. And remember, the deal terms are defined. We know what we'll be receiving when the deal closes. So a wider discount today to the ultimate consideration versus what that discount might have been yesterday or last week can be an attractive opportunity for us. Two requirements though, we need to have dry powder or cash available to put to work during bouts of volatility in the marketplace. And two, we need to have the capacity to invest that incremental capital in each of those transactions so that we can still maintain our risk framework for the portfolio. So, Our returns are tied to the successful close of a definitive merger transaction, and market volatility can enhance those returns for us if we can take advantage of them. And we typically will see that volatility as having a short-term impact on our portfolio returns. Because, as I said earlier, the arbitrage community is quite small relative to the aggregate value of all the deals that are outstanding. So, We can influence security prices day to day, but if we can stay the course, put incremental capital to work, we can still meet our return targets 
and possibly even generate returns in excess of those original targets if we put capital to work at the right times. Roger, I have a question for you. How is the current market environment impacting your investment landscape? Um, nothing has changed. I mean, from where we're sitting in regards to our strategy, I would say, if anything, it has become probably incrementally more positive. The breakdown of the current market environment is rising rates, which for us, that's the baseline return profile of our return universe is getting better. Volatility is great for us because volatility creates an expansion of the return profile for merger arm. Why that volatility is occurring is, has always been uh, the need for liquidity, which is what we've seen in 2008 and the same thing the uh, March 2020 through COVID. Deal risks are the same, right? Nothing has changed from that standpoint. We still need regulatory. We still need shareholder approval. We still are heavily reliant on the contract and valuation. So that has not changed. The strategic rationale, has that changed? It has not. I would say deal flow. Uh, deal flow is always something we look at very heavily. I would say acquirers that have been patient for the past six, seven months, they're being rewarded and they're stepping in and putting that cash to work at valuations that they feel are, though, are reasonable. And what's nice about these types of acquisitions in moments of dislocation, it could showcase some sort of opportunistic bidding. When things look the ugliest, they then step up and put money to work and announce a deal. But what happens if things get better? What happens if we bottom out? So all of a sudden, that's a nice recipe for competitive bidding situations. And then just liquidity, right? Liquidity in dislocations always comes to the fact that you have margin players who were way ahead of their skis and they need to unwind. And they're insensitive of the bids in which they sell to. They need the capital. And so we're there, as John expressed earlier. These are the moments in which uh, we thrive. We want to take advantage of these situations. And it's nothing wrong with the transaction. It's just the players who are involved. And so I would say, in summary, it's incrementally more positive in this type of dislocation than we've seen in the while. That's an interesting point, Roger. How is it that you have the capacity to allocate more capital to spreads widening when others may not? I think uh, from previous podcasts and conversations we've done publicly, we've always expressed a framework on how we, how we handle market dislocations. And it usually falls within three or four ways of handling the madness, right? One, to start with, we definitely like to position the overall portfolio to shorter duration transactions. And so those are your 30, 60, 90 day vehicles. And the reason why we like those is because the window is very tight in regards to the deal closing. And so, you know, at, during times of dislocations, deals are still closing and the short term ones are probably closing even faster because they want to get it out of the public markets. And so that's one vehicle. We keep things short. And so we'll get deals rolling off and we get to reinvest that capital back into the dislocated market. Another item that we usually put in our framework is we always like to have five to 10% in cash just for times like this. I mean, John has experienced a lot, a lot more market corrections. Uh, you know, we experienced 2008 together and in March of 2020 together. 
And it's always beneficial to have that type of capital earmarked for these types of dislocations. It, yes, it could be a cash drag, but in these types of moments, it's worth every penny to have that. Another portion of our framework is, you know, we can always sell things in our portfolio that where the alpha event has already occurred. So if there's a shareholder vote and that has already passed, so then our alpha event to the upside has already gone away. And so really there's just time value of money in holding that name. And so we can sell that position pretty easily in order to reallocate that capital into the new overall kind of landscape. And then the other thing is, is there are some benchmark transactions in our universe where it could always be a funding vehicle for us. There's always going to be buyers on the other side and the duration of that transaction might be four or five months. So in the meantime, we can exit the position near term and get back into it two months from now or three months from now and feel as though we won't miss much on the rate of return profile of that deal. So many ways to take advantage and just also just a significant amount of experience in handling uh, these types of situations in the past. What strategy-specific risks are you navigating, and what keeps you up at night? Yeah, those are good questions, Karen. You know, the specific strategy risks really haven't changed for us and, and don't typically change throughout the market cycle. The, the emphasis we place on the various risks might, but, you know, we're still focused on the regulatory landscape and the risks associated with uh, transactions, clearing various jurisdictions around the globe uh, and, and the regulatory bodies that these parties to a deal must must navigate. You know, there's also, you know, tracking the macroeconomic fundamentals associated or the impact really associated with the fundamentals with the parties to a deal and whether or not we're in an or moving towards an economic environment that may be uh, or create some difficulties for any of the parties to a deal and how that might affect either the buyer's perspective or the target's perspective when it comes to uh, moving forward on a transaction. You know, the other risks that we think about you, are all really driven by the, the fundamental analysis that we do around each transaction, its strategic rationale, the reasons the parties are doing the deal. Those don't change. Uh, those are a constant part of our process here because we really need to understand what the downside might be for any position that's in the portfolio. And that really guides our positioning. And finally, I'll say that, you know, while the credit markets for the last decade or so have been quite friendly to companies looking to finance transactions with leverage, I think as we move towards a different rate environment, as we see the Fed engineering uh, rate increases, uh, the credit markets have already reflected that to a great extent. We're going to be paying attention to those transactions that might require some financing or that might involve leverage, for instance, when private equity is involved. So again, we, we, you know, we go back to the basics, understanding what we own, uh, continuing to do the fundamental analysis around each transaction throughout the duration of the deal, and staying focused on risk and risk management. And I think markets like the ones we're in are clearly ones that are opportunistic for us and really give us that opportunity to put capital to work at, at what might be better than expected uh, rates of return than, than we see in calmer markets. John, what would you like to say to investors today who are considering adding to the strategy or investing for the first time? Well, I guess the first thing I'll say is that we're in an environment today where the return opportunities around definitive merger ARB 
are extremely attractive, meaning spreads are wider, investors are nervous. We've seen a lot of de-risking in the market, and that leads to wider spreads. And as we put capital to work, that means we can generate those excess returns over expectations for our clients. I think second, you know, we're in an environment where we've seen interest rates move higher. And I think it's, you know, we've had a couple of false starts over the last decade, but we haven't been in a rising rate environment for well over a decade. And as most of you know, rising rates are a tailwind to this strategy. And as rates rise, so do merger ARP returns. So that's one of the foundational motivations for investors to come into merger ARB. And we don't think that uh, the Fed's move to bring rates to a neutral level for this economy to fight inflation is going to stop anytime soon. When we analyze transactions on the desk, what we look for are those transactions that may be mispriced or underpriced because of the market environment. So today we're in an environment with a lot of fear. So the deals we see priced today may in fact turn out to be priced too low in the hindsight of six months or a year from now uh, when the market stabilizes or investor sentiment improves. And what we've seen happen in the past, we saw this in 09, we saw this in, in the spring of 2020, those transactions that were inked during those periods of market volatility, many times attract new buyers into the fray once the market stabilized and investors have had a chance to take a look at the bid that their boards or companies have agreed to. And, and, and that's also exciting for the strategy too. I'd say two of the points I'll, I'll, I'll make here, and we've heard this before and we've talked about this before, uh, cash balances on corporate balance sheets and cash levels at uh, private equity firms are at record levels and that cash is going to get put to work. So we expect consolidation to continue and we see that in the deal flow and we continue to see a pretty robust pipeline of deals being announced. And, and you know, that will move up and down, of course, over the course of the cycle, but there's plenty and ample deal flow for us to invest our client dollars. So overall, it's, it, it's an opportunistic environment for us. And that's really what uh, tends to be the environment that we execute the best in. Thank you, John and Roger, and to our listeners for joining us. For those who may not be familiar with Water Island Capital, we are an asset management firm with a proven 20-plus year track record in event-driven strategies across public mutual funds, private investment vehicles, and ETFs, allowing clients to choose the best format for their exposure. For more information on us and our funds, please visit our website at altshares.com and arbitragefunds.com or call our resource desk at 800-560-8210.